This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk and financial solutions. Hi, I'm Chris Judd and welcome to Talk Your Book. Today we're joined by Tim Cullen from Pure Asset Management. Tim, thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us, Chris. Now we'll get into your stock pick in a little bit. I thought if you started by just telling us a little bit about Pure Asset Management and what your guys' investment philosophy is. For sure. So at Pure, we're a little bit unique. Uh, we all come from an equities background, but saw over and over again that ASX companies weren't necessarily getting access to funding at a price that they deemed fair and reasonable. So we set up a Pure Play hybrid credit fund. So everything we do, we enter through credit, but only in companies which we would like to ultimately own the equity in and go on that journey. And you're the first debt fund that we've had on the show. So it'd be good to dig into that a little bit before we get into your... Uh your stock pick of choice. Tell me a little bit about why a company would use a, a debt provider like yourselves instead of just raising traditional equity. Yeah, ultimately the the one solution is that we prevent equity dilution at a price that the company deems not fair and reasonable. Um, we as a debt fund are very much about growth capital and we're providing that growth capital um, and deferring the equity raise and equity conversion to a higher price at a later date. And broad brush strokes, what does a typical deal look like in terms of time frame before the equity uh, debt turns into equity? What sort of interest rate, those sorts of things? Yeah, the interest rates historically have been 8 to 13%. The warrant or conversion premiums of our transactions are anywhere from 50 to 100% out of the money. So there's a real dilution saving for the company. Um, we've got two funds, which is an industrials fund and a resources fund, and both lend between 5 and $15 million in growth capital. And each transaction is generally, from start to finish, probably three months to complete. And we're lending anywhere from two to four years. And I know you cut your teeth as a more traditional equity investor. What's the, the, how does the skill set differ when you're a, a debt to equity type investor compared to just investing purely in equities? Yeah, so credit and downside protections, the first port of call. So that's our first piece of analysis and making sure that our capital is coming back and it's safe. And then from there, we're looking at what the company can be with our capital injected into it. So what sort of value can we release in the equity? Um, what valuation inflection point can we generate? And ultimately, how can we join in that journey and, and make money on the equity? And I'm guessing the companies you're in aren't profitable, hence why they're, they're raising usually. Is that, is that accurate? So is it more around picking which milestones they can hit in the next six to 12 months as opposed to analysing return on equity or, or cash flow of the, the business? It's case by case, and in terms of downside protection, there's a range of things that you can be secure against, be it tangible assets. Um, a lot of times we'll be funding an actual catalyst, so an ASX announcement will go out with the catalyst. It might be um, working capital to fund a new contract, or it might be building a new factory, or things like that which add real value to the business. Um, and our funding will go with that announcement to make sure that the company is fully funded and going forward. And what stock did you want to speak about today? Uh, the one we'll talk about today is Comet Ridge. So it was actually our first position in the resources fund um, and a pretty topical one given what's happened in the East Coast gas market over the past 12 months. And so maybe give us the helicopter view of Comet Ridge and then we'll get into how you, you structured your deal with them. 
Yeah, for sure. So Comet Ridge is a bit of an interesting one in that it was stuck in a tripartite joint venture for an extended period of time with APLNG, which is Origin, and Santos. And this was to do with the Mahalo gas project up in the Bowen Basin uh, in Queensland, which is a meaningful one. And the thing that really drew us to Comet Ridge was when we're looking for transactions in the resources space, we're looking for commodities which have got a real supply-demand imbalance. And that was something that we really saw early with regards to the East Coast gas space. And in terms of the supply deficit that we're seeing there now, this isn't new. It's mm. been in reports for the past five years that we're going to reach a supply deficit um, for East Coast gas in 2023. And this worsens in 2024, 25. And the reasons are you've got declining production in a lot of the traditional gas fields. Um, a lot of these are based in the southern states, so in, um, in Bass Strait and the like. And on the demand side, demand is flat to growing. And it's not just um, turning on your gas plates at home in terms of actual electricity and energy generation from a retail perspective. It's more industrial uses, so um, glass, paints, other inputs that, that gas is a part of. Um, and think about companies like Intertech Pivot making fertilisers. Gas is a key input to that. And as such, demand is holding in really strong. Um, and that's the base case scenario. And then we've got what's happened internationally in global gas markets with Russia and Ukraine. And obviously, that's where it really ties in with Australia's position um, and starts to cross-pollinate because the, the LNG trains up in Gladstone, the, so QCLNG, GLNG and APLNG, the owners of those control circa 90% of known gas reserves in Australia. And it's more lucrative for them at the minute to sell into the spot markets. And that's taking supply away from domestic um, and as such, we're seeing this real supply crunch now. We've also had active policies from politicians really try to avoid any sort of production of gas, particularly onshore gas, even if it doesn't involve fracking, which has contributed to the problem pretty significantly as well, hasn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I think the best example of that is Narrabri with Santos, um, a project which is significant in size, has its problems. Um, there's a lot of social pushback. It doesn't have its permits and it's a big price tag to actually fund development. Um, so that's a key example of we've seen that social pushback for a gas field. And talk to me how you structured your deal with Comet Ridge. Yeah, so Comet was an interesting one. And as I said, it was a tripartite JV, too many cooks in the kitchen, traditional gas players, and wasn't going to get developed. Um, when we came in, we provided $10 million in July last year. And that was to help fund the purchase of APLNG's stake in the JV to just make it Comet and Santos, which was 70% Comet and 30% Santos. And since that time, was only a couple of weeks ago, Santos had basically exercised their option to go to 43%. So Comet now own 57, um, Santos 43. But we initially saw it as a transaction which really had the potential to unlock a key development to solve the East Coast gas problem. Um, and that was the key thing that drew us to it. And what are the upcoming milestones that you could see leading to a potential re-rate for Comet Ridge? There's been a few. I think when we first got involved, the stock was $0.08. Cents and just unscrambling the egg, as we like to say, with the tripartite JV and bringing it into its current structure, that's 
set it on a path to development. And I think the markets finally realised that. And we saw a re-rate from $0.08 cents up through $0.20. Cents. Um, last month, the company raised $24 million equity, which it needed to do to fund some key, some key works programs to reach another valuation inflection point. And if we think about the Mahalo gas field, which is rated to do 55 um, TJs a day, which is meaningful. And if you compare that to Cenex, so that was bought by POSCO and Gina Reinhart um, late in 2021, that's of a similar size. And that was bought for 900 million, albeit in development. Um, but Comet have got some adjoining tenements to the Mahalo gas project, which they own wholly. Um, Mahalo North, which has just undergone a really, really successful pilot drilling program. Um, and we're awaiting the maiden reserve statement for that, which is coming this quarter. And that's the next key piece of news. Um, from there, it gives the company the ability to apply for a petroleum licence for Mahalo North and start laying the foundations to move into production for that gas field. So not the, the main Mahalo gas project. And they earn that outright. They earn that outright. And that's where the value for Comet really starts to unlock. If you can look at the size of the Mahalo gas project and then you look at Mahalo North, which the early indications are that that's a meaningful, meaningful asset. Um, there's contingent resource there currently, which should move to reserves very soon. And then there's Mahalo East and Mahalo Far East. So if you join all of that together, you've got a really big gas area um, of a few different tenements, but Comet own 100% of the three adjoining ones, and there's clear evidence that the gas fairway extends into those outer regions. And I know no one's got a crystal ball, but does it feel like Santos is the logical owner of Mahalo and the adjoining reserves? They are the logical owner. I think there's, um, as part of the purchase and the option that Santos exercised, it gave them a right to negotiate on the external tenements. Um, we haven't heard anything on that as yet, and, and we'll await news and see if Santos have any interest in moving in the short term. Um, so they're definitely the logical owner, and they are short gas at GLNG. And I think if they can access that extra gas and sell it into international spot markets while still keeping the Australian government on side in terms of supplying into the domestic market, that's it's a great outcome for them. Um, and then you look at what happened with Cenex. So you've got POSCO and Gina who came in as buyers of that asset in December last year. And they probably aren't the traditional owners of, of that sort of asset, but saw the need to secure supply as much as anything else. And that wasn't about profiting from the gas as much as it was about securing gas supplies for themselves. Is that right? Yeah, there's a little bit of both in there, I think. So, um, so there's the non-traditional players, which I think are a chance of popping up more and more. And then if you, if you go a little bit wider than that, someone who might be an industrial gas user, so a company like an Incitec, does it make sense for someone like that to, to make sure that they can access supply? And that's completely a, a surety of supply angle if they come in and acquire. Because you are seeing in Europe a lot of businesses, huge names actually having to, to slow production or stop production for the time being. As, as Strange as that world sounds, if you had have talked about that five years ago, you could see that becoming a, a bigger and bigger strategic issue for these companies. Yeah, 100%. And I think, um, as we were touching on earlier, that most gas use is, um, is industrials driven and like, that's the heart and soul of Australia. And you need to be able to, to make sure the input costs are A, supplied and B, have controlled costs with them. 
And it's something that we, we haven't really seen this year in the gas market because the price has effectively doubled um, from 8 gigajoules to 16 plus at times in the domestic market. And they recently did a raise Comet Ridge at 24 million bucks at 7.5 cents, I think yep. it was. Is, um, do you see that really as giving them a bit more leverage in those discussions with Santos when they didn't have much cash on their balance sheet, easy to get pushed around by a, a bigger partner? Do you think that was a part of that raising's motivation? Yeah, definitely. I think Santos had the upper hand um, had they not raised. They had some real catalysts in terms of the Mahalo North drilling. The results from that were sensational. And I think the company knew what they had with regards to, to that reserve or soon to be reserve um, and wanted to, to get through that drilling program before raising money. But now that they've done that, it probably puts the ball back in Comet's court, um, takes pressure off from any any form of Santos negotiation, and also allows them to to drill out some more pilot wells for Mahalo North um, and increase the reserve with that, and also put some initial pilot wells down in Mahalo East and Far East to really start to, to build out the uh, the asset base. It's a great story, particularly in the current energy climate. If people uh, want to learn more about Pure Asset Management, where can they find you? Yeah, so we've got a website which is puream.com.au. Um, we put a little bit of time and effort into rebranding over the last 12 months. So, uh, so we've finally grown up from a website perspective, which has been a great project. Um, and we're all freely contactable as, um, as an investment team and, and happy to answer any questions. Beautiful. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Chris. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.